Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. As always, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. We promise we're going to make it worth it. As always, shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Subtle Solution Media, for helping to make this podcast possible. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy who we have on the call. I'm excited to introduce Chase Harmer, CEO of Profit Pay. Chase, man, thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. Happy to have this conversation and uh, look forward to what comes out of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And of course, as always, I want to make sure that our audience and our guest, you, have a great opportunity to get acquainted with each other. So I'm going to give you the stage really quick, let you introduce yourself and let folks know who you are and what it is you do. Sure. Yeah. So I've been an entrepreneur since I was 19 years old, pretty much on my own way. Um, I started building a company, a decent sized company with more than three employees in 2014. As a non-tech founder, I realized that I had to become more valuable. I had to build technology that was going to help solve problems and, and not necessarily be stuck to a commodity type product, which our core product is payments. And as a payments, it's pretty commoditized type product. So we had to build a lot of features. And as a non-tech founder, I didn't know how to do that. So I didn't know the people, right people to hire. So I went through a lot of suffering to get to where we are today. A lot of hiring, a lot of mistakes, a lot of wrong turns at Albuquerque, but we've made a lot of the right decisions now to, to scale to close to a billion dollar valuation. And we're on our way to do a much bigger valuation than that. So we're excited to, uh, to be talking about what we're doing and, and how we can uh, add value to some other entrepreneurs out there that are looking to scale their business. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. That's the, the first question I was going to ask because I saw you were founded in 2014. Before that, though, obviously 19 years old, worked in banking and hotels and stuff. What yeah. was that journey like? Because I always like kind of going back where after, usually after the guest introduces themselves, I'm like, okay, so that's the finish line. And, you know, that's yeah. the title, but a lot of folks don't see the ropes and the pulleys that make that possible. So sure. let's go back to 19 year old Chase. What was yeah, man. Chase? Uh, so I was, uh, I was knocking on doors. I was doing the credit card processing business, you know, like you have the terminals and the locations and all this stuff. And I started acquiring gas stations and hotels. And I only had a few hotels in my portfolio, but I got the opportunity. I lined up the right opportunity to get in front of a large hotel association. Now, I only had a few hotels in my breadbasket at that time, but I took the, on the opportunity and they're like, listen, we want to run a program. We want to give back to the community and do this and that. And I was like, listen, we can. We have this residual-based program. I can do that. They're like, listen, come pitch to us in, in Texas. And I was like, yeah, no problem. 28 years old kid, like short little white guy. I had three hotels in my name. I go into this huge Hilton in South Padre Island and I walk in there and I'm nervous, man. And because uh, it's like this big, huge hotel, brand new construction. And I go into this room and it's a horseshoe. In the horseshoe, there's 80 hoteliers, right? 80 of them. And all of them have five to 10 properties and they're all Indian, right? And they're all with their arms crossed. And I hear this white kid comes in and I'm just like, Oh man, like in the middle of the horseshoe pitching to these guys. Here I am. I had three hotels to my name. And this guy, like, he's like, how many hotels do you have? He tried to throw me off my game. But like, at the end of the day, like I actually crushed that presentation. I got the association relationship. I signed up thousands of properties and that kind of, I really kind of figured out a way to gain momentum in their business and essentially give back to their community. 
And by doing that, I really ended up winning big on the credit card processing side. My book of business grew, but the hotel business was a very, it was like every single year they were calling me going, Hey, Chase, you going to lower my rates? Like, what's up? Like, you know, I'm just like, yo, like, uh, I'm barely making any money on you right now. So, yeah. Yeah. This is as low as it goes, So low margin. So what we did is I, I realized at that point that I had to start building technology to make myself more valuable. It was, that was in 2014. And we started building a product. And when I started talking about building, thinking about too small, like I built a product to tie consumers to transactions to, to eliminate no-shows that were happening at hotels. There's a problem that was in hotels, but in the grand scheme of thing, in e-commerce, that was still happening all over the internet, right? So, and it was still pretty new at that point. It wasn't like, it wasn't pumping like it is today, right? So there's a huge opportunity there. And I was thinking about the small problem. And when we pivoted to e-commerce, I had to rebuild things and redo things because it had to be more of a robust solution to hire, to help a whole bunch of more businesses online that were not necessarily in hotels. So, yeah. you know, that's what I was talking about. I was thinking about too small. It was like really just like segmenting this problem when really the problem that I was solving was much bigger than this industry I was serving. You know? That and, came, uh, came to light. I think it was yeah. 2017 or so when like yeah. um, blew up with those fidget yeah. spinners and everybody had a Shopify store and drop shipping was really popular. And then the Amazon FBA. And so e-com kind of blowing up is probably something that would have identified that. After well, at that time though, at that time, so like we were still deeply in travel, right? So we were in the hotel business solving that problem. And we acquired some of the largest travel marketplaces in the world. I signed a hundred million dollar contract with bookit.com we were set to be a billion dollar unicorn, right? Like yeah. fast forward, we had all these contracts, January, 2020, all these were executed. February, 2020, COVID took travel completely to zero, right? So we just like, like, uh, like almost died. I was like one hand in the grave, like, help me. Like, yeah. so, go on without me, I'm not gonna make it. <laughs> so, like, so we basically had, so like we had to pivot hard into, but the cool thing is, is that we had become a card issuer and we were solving the problem for travel. The reason why we had acquired those large relationships is because like Expedia, what is Expedia? Expedia is a marketplace. Okay. So they actually, customers go buy tickets to through Expedia, which Expedia doesn't own any of that merchandise or inventory, right? So they're basically paying the airlines in the back end. So I figured out a way to become a card issuer and a payment processor, pay these suppliers in real time. Now, when travel went to nothing, but guess what DoorDash is? Guess what? Like Instacart is. So like it's the same exact model. It's basically an app that's syncing up a customer with a third-party product or service. And so we realized that we just had to change the mechanics of this to be geared towards more towards e-commerce, but it took what it took. You know, it's like it almost killed us in the end because we had to make it such a huge pivot and we were so set on scaling these large relationships that it, uh, you know, we had to completely turn the organization around to fit it into this app queue. But, yeah. and we did get it there, but like it was a process. So, man, yeah. and I, I want to jump into that pivot in a second. But first, for the listeners and the watchers on YouTube and wherever they're listening on, I want to pull something out because. Let's go back to you being a 25, 26-year-old kid with three <laughs> hotels to your name. How you got those first three hotels? That's another question too. But I, sure. I get this mindset from you where you see things a little different, right? You kind of, even the identity of, okay, okay. So Expedia is a marketplace, but what about DoorDash or whatnot? And I want to really drive home for the listeners about having that eye 
of yeah. or that maybe that skill that we can hone in terms yes. of seeing the world differently than so many other folks see it because yeah. we walk by so many things day in and day out which have the opportunity to be innovated have sure. the opportunity to be kind of molded switched around that society is screaming for they just don't know it yet was that something you've always had like your ability to kind of see a little bit deeper or maybe see patterns where others didn't? Or was this something that you had to cultivate through the years? No, I think ultimately as an entrepreneur, I was always looking for ways to monetize in other ways that people weren't. And the reason why I started to build my own technology stack is because the people that I was selling merchant services for or whatever, I wasn't able to do those things, but I saw those opportunities. I think I've always been a visionary. And I think non-tech founders, that's what we are. We're visionaries. Like We see we see what needs to be done. We just can't do it. So it's like, so we ultimately, but that's the gift, right? Because engineers, they don't see that. They can't do that. Like outside of that, like most engineers, they're like, show me what needs to be built, show me the end game, and I'm gonna try to build that, right? But they can't see that. They're not creative people, they're logical people, right? So they have logics, we have creative juices. They need, they need our vision in order to execute those applications. So I feel like that's the magic, right? Is once you can actually understand that your value to the organization is not that you figure out how to do all these things, that you get the right people in place and you stick to what you're great at. And then you get the right people on the bus that help you build and make that vision a reality. Yeah. And really quick, because I think we do have time. How did you acquire your first hotels? Was there like an age barrier? Like did someone, because I imagine if you're 25, 26 or three, you had to be, I'm just being... I mean, yeah. just guessing it had to be maybe 24 for your first one. So basically how it worked was, so I actually cold called on this story. It was my first bank relationship. I cold called on a Chevron because I didn't know any time, any better at that time that Chevrons could, I couldn't even work with Chevrons because they were branded stations. But I cold called on a Chevron and this guy goes, yeah, hey, well, we're actually opening up a gas station in San Francisco and uh, you need to meet the owner, John, right? And I'm like, cool. And then so John's like lives in Pebble Beach, like he's this rich dude. And he's like, I'm going to be in San Francisco. And they bought this plot of land like right in front of the San Francisco airport. It's called Millbrae Marketing Gas Station. It's the biggest gas station in front of the San Francisco airport, like 18 plums, car wash, in and out burger, all this stuff, right? But this was back when it was dirt. So he goes, Chase, I want you to I want you meet me there. I'm going to meet with this bank there. And I'm going to give you this great opportunity for you to, to have a relationship with this bank. And I'm like, cool. So like... This cold call on a random Chevron ended up getting me this meeting that I went to in San Francisco. And then I met this bank who ultimately was specialized in gas stations at the time and hotels, right? <laughs> so the gas stations was the hottest thing since sliced bread at that time. And so I was building my portfolio on gas stations. I went there and then I met, they started introducing me to hoteliers because they got the bank relationship. I went there and pitched to the bank first, got their buy-in, and then they started sending me clients. And then they sent me my first few hotels. And this particular hotel, one of the, the guys that was in that I got in San Francisco was one of the most powerful hoteliers in California. And he ran this huge organization and basically stepped down and his best friend was coming in. He's like, Chase, I'm going to get you in there. You're going to talk to this guy. I was like, okay. Like, I was like, yeah, no problem. Like, I'm there. So I go there and I know that if I can put myself there and I can get the deal, I'll make it happen. Right. So I think most entrepreneurs will be like, oh shit, like I don't know enough. I only have three hotels. Like, what am I doing? It's like, I had three hotels. I had experience. I know what I was doing. I knew that it was like the same formula over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if I have five or a hundred or a thousand. 
was like, it's the same exact formula. It's like, just put me in front of these hoteliers. I know that I can make the money and they don't have a program in place. So like when I went out there, I wasn't scared to, how many hotels do you have? I just remember that. It was like, I was, I was in the middle of my presentation. It's like sidebar, like a crowbar in my head. I was like, I was like, yo, I just pretend like you didn't say that. <laughs> I just kept going. Yeah, so it was good. Like, at the end of the day, I ended up getting the beauty of this is when I started my company in 2014, the investors in my company were the guys that were sitting in that room. So the guys that were sitting in that room that became my first clients in that organization, they were the guys that invested into, invested into me and my, my idea. Yeah. So I'm going to go all the way back and make sure the viewers and the, the listeners understand. Make the call, a cold call. <laughs> kind of almost argumentatively what, what led to all this, but that's, that's yeah. important to mention because here we are. Years later, you start the company in 2014, 2020, boom, pandemic happens, puts travel on hold. And now you guys are forced to innovate, pivot, do something. This is where there's a whole bunch of questions that can come to mind. But the first thing is a lot of us get married to the plan. If we don't move, we die. Or sometimes we change the plan way too much and we never get anything off the ground. We die. What was your thought process when 2020 hit, when you came with that thought process or that, that realization, you need to innovate, you need to. Yeah. We had no idea how long COVID was going to last. So like literally, like if I didn't make a move, I was dead. Right. And we had a huge staff. So I was like just eating through payroll costs. Right. So I didn't have a choice, but to move. Now I think as an entrepreneur, you have to pivot, but I think one of the biggest mistakes, like you nailed it, is that we as entrepreneurs, we're like, oh, this isn't working like a week later. Oh, let's try this. Let's try this. And then you try all these different things, but you have no clear identity at that point. Like no one knows what the fuck you do because you're constantly changing your business plan and it's constantly moving. So you really kind of have to, if you're going to pivot, you can't make aggressive pivots that are so different than what you're doing that you're just like completely changing all the time. Like you just can't do that. Otherwise you won't survive. It just won't work. Right. So I think as an entrepreneur, you're going to be faced with decisions that are going to force you to pivot, force you to make decisions that are tough. And uh, you have to be ready to make those decisions. Otherwise, like you, over 90% of most founders fail, right? So like you'd be one of statistics. And it's, you hear about these billion dollar unicorns. It sounds like they're in the news happening all the time. They're not actually. So like there's a, there's a handful of there. Like since like there's literally like less than uh, a couple hundred that have ever been billion dollar companies in the United States ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you feel like you, there's like hundreds, thousands of them, like, cause you hear about it all the time. But that's just not reality. It's like the reality is it's less than a couple hundred, like probably in the United States forever that have ever been billion dollar companies. So it's like, it's not like it's happening every day. There's over 9 million businesses a year that start 9 million. Wow. And there's less than a couple hundred billion dollar unicorns. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard a crazy dad where someone was saying, uh, and I'm sure the numbers have been updated since, because this was a couple of years ago. They said something like 1,600 or 1,700 millionaires are made each day, but only 4,000 people climb Mount Everest. So this, it's harder to climb Mount Everest. Oh, this it's easy like- to be a millionaire today, honestly. Like if you build a business, but if you have lots of employees making millions of dollars, you're not making any money. Because your payroll costs are millions of dollars. You know, being a million dollar, multi-million dollar company doesn't really mean much today. Being able to make profit, that matters, right? So if you're able to build a scalable company 
that doesn't require hundreds of employees, but actually can make money with less employees and your profit margins skyrocket, that's when you have something that's pretty valuable. What do you look for in terms of 2020? What was the process like when you realized you had to innovate? What did you start looking for? How do you start that process of innovating? Because if someone's coming to me and they say, Ted, innovate the fintech industry, I'm a goner. <laughs> like, you mentioned one hand in the grave, like I'm done, bro. Like both my hands are in there. Like there's no saving me. It was funny. I was like, if you're watching that movie, uh, like Army of Darkness, there's a guy getting buried and he gets dirt on his face. That was me. I was like, they're trying to bury me alive. I was like, yeah. no, I'm dead. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, it it was funny because we moved out to Nevada during that time too. And my CMO, like who's one of my best friends, he's like, now I don't know how you did it because every, the odds were stacked against us pretty heavy. And, uh, but I just stayed the course. And I think that's no matter what the difference between a founder and entrepreneur, entrepreneurs can pivot and start going to a different business and make money or not make money and then go into another one. You're not working for anyone else, but you're an entrepreneur. Okay. But like founders you're willing to go all the way and like you're willing to die to to make it happen and i think that's the difference between a founder and an entrepreneur is a founder is willing to to go all in and not pivot so i but your question sorry so your question is like what was it like to pivot during that time yeah what were you looking into when pivoting so like you realize okay this isn't working or it's not going to work we don't know how long the pandemic's going to last we need to do something so I guess, what is that brainstorming session like, that mastermind look like? Are you, and your, are you and your executives in a room locked in in the room until you figure out a solution? Like what? Well, so I think the FinTech business is, is siloed, right? And what I mean by that is you have fraud prevention companies, you have payment processing companies, you have gateway companies, you have fraud, you have all these card issuing companies. They're all separate, right? And so if you're a merchant that's big, and you're trying to scale and you need all these things, you actually, you have to attach like five different dashboards. You have to do all these things. So I saw the opportunity was that, hey, we built the gateway. We did the hard work. We did the foundational work. And I was like, hey, we're this all-in-one platform. I'm like, we could go grab these huge merchants. The largest opportunities in the world right now are opportunities. And you know, the only other platform in the world right now that has the capability is Stripe. That's why they're the 800 pound gorilla. That's why they're valued at $100 billion. It's not because the value really is because they make what they do easy, right? So you go to Stripe because it's easy to set up. You don't realize you're overpaying for everything until you are in the system falls deep. And then you realize you're, it's like Amazon, you know, you're in there, you use all the gadgets and all the things. And you're like, dude, I'm paying like 50 racks a month. Like, what am I doing? I'm not even using that much of the service. Well, you're getting, they're nailing you on everything, right? Because it was so easy to get in there. It's the same thing. It's like, because they make it easy to use all the products. And then that's the biggest problem in fintech is that it's impossible to do that. The only company out there that was doing that well was Stripe. And it's still the only company today that does that well. And we actually saw that there was an opportunity there because we became a card issuer. We had the fraud prevention nail. We were already a payment processor. We built the gateway. I was like, I could do exactly what Stripe's doing. And so we just connected all the dots. And then we're taking a chunk out of their business now. So- Yeah, watch out, Stripe. <laughs> Listen, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need to beat Stripe. All I need to do is take a big chunk of their business and have them write me a check. That's it. Yeah. Hey, that's, which I mean, that's definitely a conversation too with entrepreneurs and founders and discussing uh, like exits and things like that and, and all those opportunities. But 
it sounds to me like you're you're very analytical, quick, and logical in terms of what's in front of us, what can we do, where we go, let's get after it and find out if it yeah. works or if it doesn't. And that's cool. kind of, I think, the value for so many people that they can get out of this and that thought process is, man, how much time do we waste holding back and not thinking about it? It's like, dude, you can only think about it so long. At the end of the day, it's like you have to make decisions and you have to go. And if you're not willing to just take risks, then you're just not willing to win. So I was going to ask you, what would you say to someone who's like, yeah, but I got these two things in front of me. I don't know if I do this business or this business and they're on the fence. Like, what would you say to them? Well, so first of all, like I'm a big believer in not having a backup plan. I know people are like, well, have a backup plan. It's like, no, I don't have options. I, and what I mean by that is like, I don't say, Hey, I'm going to do this business or this business. I make it as I'm in a business, one business. And then what am I doing in this business? The reality of the business that you have to be in is I think it has to be, you have to look at a couple of things. You have to look at, is this a product that people will use long-term, right? Credit cards. People are going to use that for a long time. Are going to people be using mobile apps forever? Probably. The future of fintech is in your hand, right? So like, these are the types of things that motivate me, but also residual. Setting up a business that pays you when you work, don't work, right? Payments is one of those businesses. So for me, this was a business that I knew that I had to be in. It's a business that's growing. And you also got to look at the exit values, right? If you're in a business that's getting weak-ass exit values, do you really want to put in five, six years worth of work, 10 years maybe, to get a, a weak ass multiple on your money, like in, in your time, like you got to make those decisions up front. You can't be stuck five years down the road going, whoa, I don't know if I'm going to do this. I do this. It's like, if you're five years in, you, you're you in there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're there. Like, there is no years. Back. Yeah. You, I mean, I've been doing this for seven, right? So it's just, it takes time. It's a lot of sacrifice, man. You actually... We spent a lot of money and a lot of time building the foundational work to do what we're doing. But then again, you look at Stripe's valuation. They're an all-in-one platform. They're valued at $100 billion. They didn't do that overnight. This has been in, since like, this has been like 14 years that they built that. You know what I mean? So it happened over 14 years. People don't realize that that took a long time. And they were the first ones that were innovating this before internet was, they were the only ones doing the internet stuff initially. Everyone's like Stripe. I remember I've been in payments forever. People were like Stripe, yes, yeah, Stripe, whatever. Right? Stripe's like two point nine percent. I was like, no, actually, that model's pretty strong. That's held true to to this point in time. So, I mean, case in point, when they say it takes ten years to be an overnight success, a lot of folks probably are talking now about after the pandemic, Peloton, right, going mm-hmm. through its growth, and everyone knows about Peloton, and they have the bikes and yeah. the homes. This company was founded in 2012, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dude, if, if, if COVID didn't happen, like they'd still probably be like trekking. It takes what it takes and then you get an opportunity, but you have to be ready for that opportunity when it happens, right? So it's like work your ass off. And then if you have a great idea and then the opportunity rises, you have to be able to capitalize. Like that's where the rubber meets the road is like if COVID happened and they weren't ready to ship all those products, to do all that stuff overnight, like... They got to that point over that 12 years and then ah, we could ship it like, let's go. They were ready, but if they had not been ready, they wouldn't have been able to capitalize on that opportunity. Yeah. Well, you mentioned kind of being five years in the process, seven years in the process and things <laughs> like that. And I mean, that, that's a commitment and that's longevity. <laughs> and we kind of talked about beforehand and a lot about this podcast, No Rain, No Rainbows. You have the good days, yeah. and the bad days. It's mental just as much as it's about execution. How do you handle those setbacks and those bad days? 
I know you mentioned there was one mistake you made with a business partner, for example, or even in your current position, having to pivot and burning through payroll money. How do you get up and stay positive or keep getting after it, keep pushing forward? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're building too, there's not a lot of winning going on. Elon Musk talks about it a lot. He's like, if you're not failing all the time, like you're not innovating. And that's just the truth. If you're doing something that's hard, it's fucking hard. You have to realize it's hard as shit. There's not anybody else out there doing it. You know what I mean? So like, just because you're failing and people are like, oh, fuck, Jesus sucks. It's not working. It's like, dude, what are you doing? Don't worry about what they say about you. Honestly, the only thing that matters is that you are focused on the prize and then you keep your eyes on the prize. And that's the hardest thing to do, I think. But that's the only thing that actually is going to keep you there and keep you motivated because whatever you started to do this for in the beginning, you have to remember those things because it's going to be a lot of setbacks and a lot of hard times. And you're going to be alone by yourself during those hard times. And there's not going to be any of us that's going, uh, Chase, it's cool. Don't worry about payroll. It's fine. No one's going to say that to you, actually. They're going to go, am I going to get paid? What the fuck's happening? Where's my paycheck? So like, they don't care that you're struggling or you're hurting or that it's tough. No one cares. Everyone wants to get paid. So at the end of the day, you're going to be suffering through those hard times on your own. So I think you just got to be prepared that it's not going to be as easy as you think. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing something difficult, just realize it's difficult. It's hard. Also remember, like there's less than $200 billion unicorns. Don't think you're going to go out there and create a unicorn overnight. You're not. It just doesn't happen. Billion dollar values don't happen in a year. They just don't. I mean, it's rare. It does happen. It's because like it's a great idea and they spent five years building it. And then boom, like they scaled. You know what I mean? Snapchat example. He didn't just come up with Snapchat two years later, sell it for $2 billion. No, had experience in that industry was up close. You could talk about market research, which goes into it. And you can't just pop up in an industry and be successful. No, it doesn't work. I mean, it just takes a lot of hard work and you just got to stay the course. I think then that's just, just remember that if you don't stay the course, there is no winning. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get collaboration. Uh, One of my last questions, something you said in an article was manifesting your reality and being ready to burn is what being a founder is all about. What does that mean, man? Well, I, when I say getting ready to burn, I mean, there's a couple of like different things that you, you could take from that. But I think manifesting your reality is like, if you have an idea, I think about like, and I have this tattoo on me, actually. It's like, burn the ships, when or die trying, right? And that's the you know, story of like the Spanish Armada that came in to fight this battle. And they were outnumbered like three to one, thousands to like a hundreds. And the captain burned the ships and he was like, yo, we're going to die or you're going to fucking, you're going to kill you. We're going to kill our way out of this thing. And they ended up winning that battle, but it's because they had their backs to the wall. So I think if you set up an idea of what success looks like for you, don't be scared to risk everything to go after that dream. If it's not worth going all in, is it worth it even like to do this whole thing? Like if you're not willing to go all the way in, what are you doing? Don't even try it. Go be an entrepreneur, like go work for someone else. Go sell somebody else's product because you don't have what it takes to actually go all the distance and you're going to end up failing in the end and you're crying to somebody that doesn't care because in the end, they only want a paycheck. And the only person that's going to deliver that is someone that's going to be able to provide that paycheck. So unless you're willing to meet those kind of demands, like you're just not ready to be a founder. Yeah. <laughs> 
Man, Case, that was some hard truth you just gave to some folks. <laughs> I had to write it down. <laughs> That's just the reality, man. I can tell you from experience. That's just what it takes. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for anyone that wants to get more doses of the truth or, or maybe follow up on profit pay, I know there's some business sure. owners that listen who might also be able to use some of your services and whatnot. How can folks connect with you, uh, learn more and, uh, and and find out more about profit pay? Yeah. And regardless of so like, if you want to use our services or not, founder to founder, I'm helping to, like, happy to, to help anybody out there that's interested to scaling their own business, has some ideas and wants to run things by me. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at Chase Farmer. Or you can email me, chase at profitpaid.io, or you can reach me and my team at 855-247-3411 and uh, talk to a member of our team. Or if you're an investor, you can also go through that line too and and, uh, see what what it's all about. Yeah. Investors preferably use the phone number, please. (laughs) (laughs) Get after it, right? No, uh, Chase, I, I appreciate that because, hey, like we said at the start, make that call and you just put the number out there. It was a cold call that started it for you. Maybe one of our listeners could start with that cold call too. So I'll have the links and everything in the show notes for folks. They can just open up the app that they're listening to or scroll down to the comments on YouTube and go ahead and click those links to be directly connected to you. But Chase, man, love what you're doing. Keep getting after it. And thanks so much yeah. for the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a blast. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And really quick, we're going to recap some of the things you said for the listeners that maybe were maybe cleaning or doing some work while listening to this episode. Not everybody has a pad and paper, so I'll go ahead and uh, do that service for folks. But look for ways to monetize. There are so many ways to make money. It's it's all around us. We're surrounded by it. And when we think about, okay, we need money, it's a scarcity mindset because there's so much to be made around us. And in No Rain, No Rainbows, some of the hardships folks go through is financial. So having another set of another way to make income or building skills that make income is certainly the first way you can build yourself towards financial freedom. Making the call, that cold call is probably the call that you should make. The call you're afraid to make is probably the call you should make because you might be one phone call away from the rest of your life. Just as Chase was, that could be you in the future as well. Not saying you're going to make a unicorn. (laughs) You could go go for it in the future as well. Make it happen. I'll make it happen. One thing I picked up on the moment me and Chase got on the call was his confidence in himself. So many folks have confidence that's false. When you look in the mirror, you don't truly believe what you're selling. And that's where it all starts. Have the confidence in yourself. Have the confidence of a 25-year-old standing in a room full of investors with three hotels to their name looking to join the committee. And also, got to make a profit. A lot of businesses make money. Not all of them make profits. And that's really what you're looking for. Eyes on the prize. If ever it gets hard, it gets sturdy. We say, you know, reconnect with your why. Remind yourself of why you do it. If you are having those hard days, make sure you tap back into that. And of course, if it's not worth going all in, is it even worth it in the first place? Some of the hard truth from Chase on this episode. Hopefully that was insightful and helpful to you guys. Hope you guys got a lot of value. As always, if you did, make sure you share it with somebody else because that's the best way you can help us out is by sharing this episode. And make sure you give us a rating. Let us know how we're doing because that's the only way we get better. And subscribe to get these new episodes each and every single week. And even further, If you love the podcast and you want to support, we have a Patreon page where for $1 a month, you get some extra content and extra audio from our guests like Chase and others. You're going to love what Chase says for the extra audio there. But guys, go out there, crush it like I know you can. As we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure 
without a little pain. Let's go. <laughs> 